0: I also would like to take this opportunity to welcome you to this three-month retreat and to welcome all of us to this three-month retreat. And I too am happy that we're all here. Are you ready to begin? After two days of, you know, busyness around here, a couple of people expressed, me today that they were ready for the silence to begin. So, to put this uh, opportunity in perspective, I'd like to tell a story. Once upon a time, the Bodhisatta, the Buddha-to-be, was living as a prince in his father's palace and the prince had grown up doing princely things and living in the plush uh, comfort and security uh, inside the palace walls and his father raised him well and protected him from uh, most everything that would disturb him physically or mentally And in growing up, the prince learned what princes learn and uh, was entertained by those things that prince and princesses are entertained by. And he had all the material goods that he could possibly need, the emotional support that he needed. He had a role in the uh, kingdom as prince and he didn't really want for anything but still when he heard about the beauty of the gardens and the uh, forests outside of the palace he wanted to go have a look and so one day he said to his charioteer i think i'd like to go outside of the palace and take a look around in the realm of my father so would you please hitch the horses up to the chariot and I want to go out and take a look. And so the charioteer hitched the horses to the chariot. They went outside of the familiar palace uh, grounds, out the gate. And while they were riding through the city, the prince looked to the side of the road and he happened to see an old person, someone whose uh, faculties were no longer working so good and couldn't see and was a little bit weak and uh, hunched over and uh, without all their teeth and all their hair. And uh, because his father had protected him from seeing such things, he asked the charioteer, what happened to that person? And the charioteer explained to him that growing old is something that all beings do. And went on to explain, that, yes, indeed, the prince, too, would grow old and become like that. And the prince was really upset. And he said, I think I better go home. Hmm. After living in the comfort of the palace for a short while longer, again, he felt the urge to go out beyond the familiar palace gates and have a look around the realm in which he was living. And he, again, summoned the charioteer to hitch up the horses. He did. They went outside the palace gates. And as they were riding through the city, the prince looked to the side of the road, and he happened to see a sick person. And he'd never seen a sick person having lived in the protection and the comfort and the security and the otherworldliness of the palace. And he asked the charioteer, what happened to that person? or something like that. And the charioteer explained to him that, you know, when one gets old and one gets sick, then the body's in a lot of pain and and the mind is not so good. And uh, it's just a really, not a very pleasant situation. And the prince was really upset when it was explained to him that he too would get sick someday. And he said, I think I better go home. So they went home and he lived again in the happy comfort of his palace until he got the urge again to dare another look in the the realm of his father and again the charioteer hitched up the horses they went out through the gate while riding through the city the prince looked to the side of the road and he saw a corpse being carried by four uh, corpse carriers having never seen anyone die in the palace he asked the charioteer about it and the charioteer explained to him that, indeed, all human beings pass away, where they no longer feel, no longer think, no longer love, no longer eat. They no longer do anything. And the prince was really upset. And he said, I think I better go home. After living in the palace, being entertained by all the diversions available in the palace, He again got the urge to go out and take a look around, had the charioteer, hitched the horses to the chariot. They went outside the palace gates. And this time, while riding through the streets of the city, the prince looked to the side of the road, and he saw a renunciate, a man or a woman who was standing serenely, peacefully, quietly, and very, with a lot of presence of mind, standing beside the road. And the prince asked the charioteer, "What is that person doing?" And the charioteer explained to him that this was a person who had, uh, who was devoting their life to understanding uh, life. And upon further explanation, the prince was gladdened. And after returning to the palace and considering his own life, he decided that he too wanted to understand what life is all about. And so he left his palace that he lived in. He left the comfort of his home, of his family, Of his material goods, his wealth, his role, his position, his inheritance. He left that. He gave that up to go and to look for, to see if he could discover the meaning of life, the um, possibility of understanding old age, disease, and death. And he was able to find some contentment, some happiness in that movement out of the palace. After he left, while wandering around the countryside, he went to the best teachers he could find at the time. And he was taught everything that they knew. And from what I understand, he was taught how to access deep states of concentration and absorption and from what i hear uh, they can be pretty joyful and ecstatic and blissful and a great source of happiness extreme tranquility concentratedness focus of mind real peace and after he had uh, accomplished all that his teachers set for him to do they said to him you're as good as uh, a yogi as we are you know what we know this is the ultimate in life why don't you teach with us be our equal and teach our students with us and the prince or at that time the bodhisattva, reflected and he said yes this is pretty good but it's not freedom and he left he gave up that comfort of that role, of those, uh, that peace and understanding.
1: And he continued
0: on to do his own practice, undergoing six years of austerities, torturous uh, meditational practices, what we would consider torturous. After some time, he indeed did find his own understanding freedom and liberation. And 2,500 years ago, he taught his understanding of the way things are, his understanding of the truth, his understanding of the Dhamma. And it's important to understand that at that time, the Bodhisatta, after he became knowledgeable and enlightened, became the Buddha. He didn't uh, create the truth. He discovered it. And he taught a way for all others to discover that truth. And he taught those around him. And that teaching has been handed down for 2,500 years through the monasteries and the nunneries, through laymen and laywomen who have listened, practiced, and also discovered the truth. And in Asia today, most of us have also listened from teachers and practiced, and maybe have discovered some bit of the truth. Lest we think that this is just a story, please consider that we here are all in the same situation as that prince. We live a pretty happy or pretty comfortable lifestyle here in the West. We have what we need to a degree. We have an abundance of material goods. We have our lifestyle, our personalities, our families, our uh, freedom. Of one sort or another and in the course of growing up here we have uh, chosen to follow and to pursue what we like what we find useful beneficial and pleasurable to us and to avoid what we found disagreeable and unpleasant and at some point we may also discover that in spite of pursuing what makes us comfortable and happy after 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, that sometimes it doesn't work, or it isn't just what we'd hoped for. Well, we find that we are living in a very narrow range of what is possible to experience as a human being. Unable to open to much of what we know or have heard is possible. And we discover all too frequently that we live in fear of the future, closed to others due to shame, embarrassment, unable to experience much of life because it's unpleasant. But we also have received and heard heavenly messages. Maybe we've been sick, or maybe we've grown a little old. Or maybe we've had someone close to us die. And maybe we've seen the vanity of our health believing that we'll always be healthy or the vanity of our youth or even the vanity of our life. And like the prince, we might be looking for something else, something other than what we've been experiencing in this plush palace of our familiar, secure family and friends. And so we come to a retreat like where we leave what is familiar. We leave our role, our finances, our family, as Joseph mentioned last night. We leave our comfortable habits and entertainments for a while to come look like the prince. It is the sincerity of our intention look that creates this space the buildings don't do it the time doesn't do it it's the sincerity of our intention to be here to look that creates this sanctuary where we can pay respect to and be reverential towards our most tender subtle feelings to see beneath the appearance of things. We can come here and leave much of our life behind because we come as a group to undertake a common task, to be content with little, To find happiness in the simplicity of the yogi's life and to enter seclusion, to enter solitude. Though we come here alone and we practice alone, the solitude that I speak of is not loneliness, but rather the love of being alone being with oneself. IMS is a beautiful place. The beauty and the nature that's available here induces calmness, tranquility, openness and a sense of security And being alone with ourselves. When we understand that solitude and seclusion is the love of being alone, it can become ecstatic. As Krishnamurti says, the ecstasy of solitude comes when you are not frightened to be alone, when you are no longer. Clinging to the world. Whatever message you have heard, whatever you have seen that has brought you here, and it's important to ask yourself, why have I come? it's not so important to answer but to ask yourself and let yourself feel what maybe can't be put into words please don't ignore or deny those feelings but whatever message or whatever urge or whatever feeling has brought you here is the seed of wisdom There is a piece of the understanding you need to be here. And this retreat, for the next three months, is an opportunity to cultivate and to nourish and to bring that seed into bloom. Don't take it for granted. That seed can wither and dry and die also when in the middle of the retreat and you find yourself lagging and flagging you might want to remember again to reflect again what is it that has brought me here to to reinvigorate or to re-inspire your commitment to be here as Joseph mentioned last night This is a rare and precious opportunity. The time, the place, having the money to come, having the teaching being available, having your own health. To get these factors together at one time is not easy. And after we take, or after we give up for this period of time, what is familiar and comforting to us. What is it that we take refuge in to be here? We can take refuge in that seed of wisdom, that potential we all have within us to awaken, to come to know the truth. it is important to endeavor to awaken. I like to read a short poem called A Ritual to Read to Each Other. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world in following the wrong god home, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug, that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade holding each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes, or no, or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. The signals we give each other here should be clear. And when we reflect on the qualities of being awake, when we reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, of being awake, of tranquility, of balance, of mind, of understanding, patience, love, compassion, can really serve as a powerful support and inspiration for our practice. When the prince left his palace, gave up his comfortable life and went to wander in the countryside, he did so in a time in a culture which understood, which valued and supported what he was doing. And he entered and took refuge in a like-minded community of renunciates, those who were seeking wisdom and understanding, being kind and compassionate living simply with little. We too now are away from our familiar, comfort, family, friends, and we've entered a larger community of like-minded individuals. And aligning our intentions and motivations with each other is a powerful and supportive feeling In the first twenty years that the Buddha taught after his own awakening, there were many hundreds, thousands of men and women that came to practice with him, to hear his teaching and to practice with him. And for the first twenty years the community of thousands was in harmony. And there was no need for any rules. Then we could say some riffraff happened to come, and uh, there were some incidents, and uh, then they needed some rules. But when the Buddha was asked by his assistant, his attendant, Ananda, what and if all Buddhas taught the same thing, the Buddha said, the most virtuous practice is patience and forbearance. In living in a community like this, there's a 100 of you and there's uh, 15 or 20 staff and there's five of us and there'll probably be some guests around. We're looking at a pretty large community to live in a pretty small place. The most noble practice is patience and forbearance. Especially being patient and tolerant and forbearing others' behavior, activities uh, that, that disturbs you, that irritates you that aggravate you, and also being very patient and forbearing your own limitations of patience, lack of understanding, being gentle with yourself. But as when in life patience and forbearance aren't enough, we also have some rules. And the rules that we live here are agreements that we make, that we need to make to live in a group and community this size for this period of time so that we can live in harmony and do what we need to do. And the rules we live by are the precepts. And these precepts indicate areas of our life, of our communal life where it's easy to forget and to become disturbed. The rules themselves, the precepts, the trainings that we undertake are expressions of our love and our compassion for ourselves and for each other. And they're familiar to all of us. The first is to undertake the training rule or the precept of not killing, not harming any other living being. Of course, none of us here are gonna hurt each other, outwardly, obviously, but there are a lot of creatures that live around here also. Lucky for us, it's not mosquito season. But paying attention to The other beings that we share our room with, that we share this planet with, awakens in us a sensitivity to our own life and the little things in our life. Unless you think that one mosquito, one spider doesn't matter. Let me read. As the old man walked down the beach at dawn, he noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Finally catching up with the youth, he asked why he was doing this. The answer was that the stranded starfish would die if left until the morning sun. But the beach goes on for miles and there are millions of starfish, countered the other one. How how can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand and then threw it to the safety of the water saying, It makes a difference to this one. It makes a difference to everyone. Every mosquito, every spider, every one of us. So the first agreement that we undertake is to refrain from harming other beings. The second is traditionally said to refrain from taking what is not given, from stealing from uh, misappropriating others property none of us here are thieves and it's really necessary that we feel safe enough in our person and with our belongings here to know that we have this agreement with every other being here not to take what isn't ours we might also understand that more subtly uh, to understand that we won't misuse the resources here, whether it's the resources of the uh, meditation center or the natural resources of the earth here, because as we misuse or as we overconsume, we deprive others of the means of their life. So we have an agreement to not misappropriate resources. Thirdly, we have an agreement, we need to undertake an agreement amongst us to be truthful. And let's face it, a commitment to the truth in this path of awakening is essential. If we don't consciously, each of us individually, undertake that commitment, It is all too easy to deceive ourselves and try to deceive others. None of us here, if I asked how many here are liars, probably nobody's going to raise their hand. And if I asked how many here have made a rock-solid commitment to the truth, probably not too many hands would go up either. We have found a way, most of us, to live in that comfortable space of convenient that won't work here in this community for this period of time. Give yourself every benefit of your efforts here. Acknowledge the truth to yourself, even if you can't acknowledge it to others. This agreement within this context of these three months commitment to the truth is encoded in what we call noble silence and now we've entered this space of silence noble silence is supportive of your practice and it's supportive of the practice of your fellow yogis where we agree to remain silent to not communicate to another. Please, you can speak to us and uh, for anything that you need to say. But to refrain from and to really undertake the agreement to let each other be by ourselves. I was just reading that is said that uh, Thomas Carlyle and Ralph Waldo Emerson sat together for hours one night in utter silence until one rose to go and said, we had a grand evening. This silence of love is not indifference. It is not merely poverty of something to say. It is a positive form of self-communication. And just as silence is needed to hear a watch ticking So silence is the medium through which the heart is heard. This agreement that we undertake to to, uh, honor noble silence includes communicating through eye contact, communicating through touch, through writing, through reading through the mail as much as possible give yourself the benefit and to enhance your practice by refraining from unnecessary communications of any sort the fourth agreement that we need to undertake here as a community is to refrain from sexual activity. And here that means to be celibate, to be uh, non-expressive or not act upon your sexual energy. And that means, again, to not let your sexual energy uh, seep out through eye contact, touching, and notes. Because touching and eye contact can be interpreted and often is an expression of sexual interest. Be really respectful of other's space. The fifth agreement that we need here is to refrain or to undertake the training to refrain from the use of intoxicants of any sort other than those prescribed by a doctor. Because this practice is one of opening to those places in the mind, those places in our body that may not be so pleasant. We may discover such places in our practice, and in our culture today, there is massive denial of these places by the use of intoxicants and alcohol of one sort or another, and here, we're attempting to move away from that level of denial and resistance and fear and avoidance and to come into greater contact with more of life. Now these agreements, these precepts, these rules for helping uh, train our mind, train our body, are not meant to be standards for you to judge yourself by, nor for you to judge others by, but rather to serve as pointers, as reminders to us of what we know and have come to know and see within ourselves is an expression of true love, compassion, and understanding. And if we can all agree to these training rules or these agreements, then we can live in harmony as a community. We can live in ease and we can feel safe and secure with what we're doing. And they really come from uh, an expression of care and compassion and, and love and support for ourselves and each other in what we're doing, real appreciation. And ultimately, the contentment, the security, and the happiness we feel in community will support and provide the conditions for deepening concentration and opening wisdom. We're all interdependent here. There's no one of us that is going to do our own practice here. We're all in this together. And so everything that you do affects every other one of us. And you also receive the benefit of what everyone else is doing. And so one way that we ask you to contribute to the support of this community is each day We need someone to ring the bell at the end of the sittings. It's called being a practice leader. And sometimes they sit here, and sometimes they just take this gong to their seat and ring it for each sitting of that day. And all of you will be put on the list. It's a kind of a non-choice automatic thing. It's a way of really providing support for the other's practice. If you do it one day, you get supported the other 89 days. That will begin today's Friday. I think tomorrow we'll be sitting quite a lot. And at different times, the teachers will be sitting, coming in to sit, and then we can ring the bell. But when we're not here, then you can ring. Whoever's the practice leader can ring the bell. As Joseph mentioned last night, the Buddha taught to do good, to avoid the unwholesome, and to develop the mind. And we in America have been really fortunate, our generation in the West has been unbelievably fortunate, to have exposure to and the ability to hear and practice a great, tremendous variety of teachings. From not only several dozen Buddhist traditions but many other religious traditions as ways and means for coming to understanding, developing tranquility, developing virtue, developing wholesome uh, behavior, mental, physical, verbal behavior. And of the five of us here, we've also had many different teachers Many different techniques, many different practices, years of different practices. And of you, hundred or so, I'm sure there's as many more. Different techniques and practices. What we ask is that for this period of time, you put aside all other practices that you have learned. That's not to make a judgment, that's just to say that those practices. And those teachers and those techniques in those times were appropriate give yourself the benefit of getting the full exposure and practice of what we offer here now we also have practiced different uh, with different teachers and what you hear uh, there may be quite a variety in what the five of us offer as far as answers to questions and Dharma talks and instructions and interviews. Don't waste your time trying to figure out which one's right. They're all right. If what you hear resonates with what you feel and what you understand, great. Use it. If what you hear doesn't resonate at all, let it go. But allow yourself to be open to hearing what you might not yet have heard and understood. There's no judgment of your other teachers or your other practice or your ability. But one of the qualities of the Buddha's teaching, one of the qualities of the Dhamma, is what's called ehipasiko. Check it out for yourself. Come and see. And so we offer the teachings of the Buddha as we have heard and understood it as best we can and ask you to come, listen, practice, and check it out. At the end of three months, you'll have a good taste, and you can decide for yourself it works for me or it doesn't. I sometimes like to acknowledge that if you took Picasso, and a meteorologist, a weatherman, to the top of a mountain, and you had them watch the sunset. When they came down and told people down below who hadn't seen that sunset what they had seen, they would use different images, different words, different metaphors, different stories to explain. And someone listening might not recognize that they were both talking about the same thing. The Dhamma is sometimes like that. And so if you hear Stephen talking about something that sounds completely different than what Michelle is talking about, so be it. That's the way it is. They don't need to figure it out. They're both right. There's one sunset. There's many ways of describing it. And here we're going to do our best to answer your questions, to give you the understandings that others have, that we have, to help you in your own understanding of what you're experiencing. And that's important. And that's necessary. And it's not sufficient. We're not asking you to believe anything. We're not going to ask you to accept, as dogma, anything. But we're asking you to look to your own experience in each moment. Because what you experience in each moment is the truth for you. And in another religious tradition, they say the truth will set you free. Did you ever ask yourself, what truth will set you free? Whose truth will set you free? The truth is the way things are. What you experience right now, after listening for 45 minutes, restlessness, achiness, pain, boredom, whatever, that's the truth for you right now. take refuge in the truth. When we come here, we can't take refuge in our family. We can't take refuge in our money. We can't take refuge in our role, our wife, our husband, our other teachers, or what we experienced last retreat. We can only take refuge in what we experience right now. And on Sunday, we'll ask you or we'll begin seeing you and giving you the opportunity (coughs) to tell it like it is. To come to us and tell us (coughs) your truth. How is it for you? What's it like for you to sit, to walk, to watch your breath, to be with yourself? And it's essential, I say, as I mentioned, to be as open and as honest as you can be. They'll begin Sunday, and tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning after the first sitting at 9 o'clock, uh, there will be some instructions given on uh, how to, or well, some explanation of the reporting, what to do, how to do, when to do. And also during this, this three months, there will be some people who are interested in uh, also being of service to the Dhamma, who will come, and periodically they'll be sitting in on our interviews they'll be observing some of us as we talk to you as you come in and talk about your experiences they'll be sitting and listening not not guiding you but they'll just be listening so if that's okay with you then it would be of great benefit and service in their training uh, to become uh, Dharma guides of one sort or another if you feel uncomfortable with that, if you feel uncomfortable with having another person in the room as you talk to your teacher, please let us know. When you come to report, it's the truth we want to hear, your truth. It may not be what you heard other people say is the truth. That's not important. Krishnamurti says, when the mind is still and tranquil, not seeking any answer or solution, neither resisting nor avoiding, it is only then that the mind is capable of perceiving what is true. And it is the truth that liberates, not our efforts to be free. When we live with the truth, when we live acknowledging to ourselves the way things are, when we live in harmony and when we resonate with the way things are, we find happiness. And when we live resisting the truth, when we live avoiding the way things are, denying what we know, what we feel, we find pain and unhappiness. And it's the happiness and the harmony within ourselves and amongst us that is the peace of liberation. The Buddha said, there's no higher happiness than peace. And what we do here is to undertake the training of mind and body and speech. To begin to discover that for ourselves. So I welcome you and I hope that this magnificent journey of discovery is as rewarding as you hope it to be. T.S. Eliot really captured the spirit of what we do here when he said, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring shall be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So, Shall we uh, do the formal precepts? Mm-hmm. What we'd like to do now is To stretch, <laughs> sit. Sit, sit, okay. stand. All right. Well, what we'd like to do is take the refuges and the precepts formally, but first give you a couple of minutes to stretch, to stand, but please don't leave the room because the, the precepts <coughs> and refuges will only take a couple of minutes. <laughs>
1: Just begin by letting our awareness open and widen into the sphere of sounds. Mind very relaxed. Open and spacious as well as very alert and attentive as sounds, inner or outer, subtle or strong, arise in the sphere of awareness. to seek out the sounds as attentive to the silence between the sounds as to the sounds appearing themselves.